Oh, Father, we come before you. We ask that, uh, that you help us and guide Jim that everything we hear in this room tonight is pleasing in your sight. Yes. We also want to lift up the state of Texas. Yes. We have some strange things going on as far as voting in this primary. Father, you know what they are. We put all this in your hands, your mighty hands for this, this election, all of it, all over the state of Texas. If it is your will, that's the way it needs to go. No matter good, bad, or indifferent, win, lose, or draw. Father, we are all under your authority. We believe in your son who came and gave all he was for us. Help us, Father, to live the kind of life that is pleasing in your sight. And may this, this recording about this subject in Daniel be pleasing in your ears. And it is in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray and give thanks. Amen. 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 Well, this is sort of a little bit about politics, but in a different way. Uh, we started last week in chapter 7. I want to say a little bit about it before we... Uh, I'm going to say something about be sure you vote, be sure you're praying for the election. But Brent, you did a really good job on that. You'll remember in the first eight verses, we find Daniel. He is in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Uh, and that is, of course, the uh, last king that will be in the city. Really, his uh, grand grandfather is Nebuchadnezzar, but his father, actually it's his uncle, is the was chosen as the leader, the, uh, the king of Babylon. And his name was Nabonidus uh, uh, and Nabonidus, you could say it either way. But he didn't like to be around. He liked to go out and play. And so he spent most of his life in the, out in the desert of Timnah. At the, there's an oasis called Timnah, and that's where he was. In fact, that's where he was when the uh, Babylonian Empire fell. It will fall under him. His first year uh, in the, this situation was 50, was uh, 555 BC, and he will be out in 539. He's a guy who, in many ways, uh, should have come to a faith in the Lord. He's the one who uh, saw the writing on the wall and, and those kind of things. We've already looked at that. But what we pick up in 7, really, is the beginning of the prophetic section. Uh, we find out who the king is, because it tells us in verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he laid on his bed. And we looked at that. And the first thing he saw was a vision that covered the empires that were going to, that he was in and that would follow him. And there are four of them. And this is important to know. These four empires were not like anything else they had seen or would see. 
And uh, one of them is going to come back. And that's what we have to understand as we look at this passage. In the seventh uh, chapter, of course, we have the uh, uh, beginning of this empire movement. And the first nation, of course, is going to be the head of gold. We saw that in two. Here he is seen as a very uh, vicious, if you will, four great beasts and a lion and the wings of an eagle. But it does point out that this particular picture tells us that the emperor that will be pictured by the lion with the wings that are plucked will become a human being with a human mind or a human heart. And that, of course, is Nebuchadnezzar who became a believer. It leaves there and goes to the other three empires. And these are important to understand because these empires are actually the moving forces in uh, ancient history. And that's why God only comes to these four. Now, Egypt, of course, was an important nation, but it was not an empire. There's a difference between the two. An empire, and there were others that were sort of like empires at this time. And of course, in this time, we're talking about uh, this last king starts, as I said, at uh, 555 BC, and he will rule to 539. But the nation he is over is an empire in the sense that empires not only take other lands and other nations, but they want to make them like, in fact, exactly like the nation that took them. And that's the difference. An empire wants to take the nation and make it just like they are. The others, that's not a thing. If you study the Egyptians, they would, particularly in the land of Israel, some of you have been there with us, and we went up to Bet Sha'an. There, it's just on the Jordan River, close to the Sea of Galilee. That was Egyptian headquarters for the land of Palestine. Now, they didn't try to make Palestine Egypt. All they wanted was that they obeyed what they said and that they paid whatever taxes or whatever they asked of them, they would do. But they could go on being. Uh, like Palestinians or Arabs uh, at this point, actually they're they're uh, they're very much uh, just tribal people. But when you have an empire, that's not what they want. And so when we have the empire of Babylon, it tries to make all of their conquest Babylonian. The next thing we saw in this, of course, was the uh, next beast that looked like a bear. And that beast, very quickly, was the Medo-Persian Empire, and they tried to do the same thing. The third one is a leopard that has wings, which was Greece. And Greece probably did the best job of making the world a Greek empire. I spent a lot of time studying that, both academically and then just because I enjoy studying it. So much of it is in Scripture. Then the last one we have is this beast that uh, he keeps on looking, that is powerful, it devours, it crushes 
the remainder with his feet, and it has ten horns. We really don't know what kind of beast this is, but we do know it is an empire beyond any other. And of course, that is the empire of the Romans. Now, this empire is the one that is most important because we're going to pick up another picture of these four empires. And we're going to see them as they are in the time of Daniel, but we have to understand something. These empires are going to come back again. And actually, they'll come back in the form of one empire, and that's what we will pick up in this part of Daniel 7. They don't come back with uh, heads of gold. They are very much like this. They're beastly in their, in their hearts, and uh, they are ones that are very difficult to deal with. And the bad thing, or the worst thing about this one is the last one, that beast that crushes. Let's look at verse 7. Uh, Phil, would you read verse 7 for us? After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great beasts. Okay, but let's stop there. What we have in this one, we're really looking at two forms of this beast or this empire. And it's the one that has the ten horns, it's the one that crushes. But the fascinating thing about it is in verse 8 we discover that this had horn, this beast has ten horns, and three of them are pulled out. There's a little horn that comes up, another little horn, I take it he's the eleventh. Three other horns of the big of the ten are pulled out by the little one. And this little horn is the one that has eye, the eyes of a man and the mouth uttering great bows. And this takes us from the time of Daniel and time of the Roman Empire, which the Roman Empire, it's important to know how long it went. The Roman Empire, and I'm talking about the Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, which was at Constantinople, uh, which uh, really became powerful in 312, AD 312. We won't get into that. But that is not really the empire the Bible looks at. And it looks at the empire of Rome that's Western. This was the one that has the Caesars and all of that in it. And what we have in verse 8 is this empire that is already been talked about is going to come back and in verse 8 we begin to look forward to that and what we have to understand about this empire is that it is in one sense directly tied to the roman empire the roman empire if we go back to about a thousand bc it started it wasn't an empire at that point it was a nation, but it, it started, it was at times a kingdom, and, and other times it was 
sort of like a, uh, a uh, tribal people. But finally it became a, uh, an empire where you had a Caesar who ruled over it and it kept taking in nations. Now it, if you go back to 1000 BC, that's about where it starts. It will go powerfully in the Western, in the Western Roman Empire, will be powerfully until 671, I mean until 461 uh, AD. And that is when it falls, the West falls. It's Caesar that Rome is taken, actually at that point the city of Rome by Roman uh, haters. They were the people that really had already tried to take it several times, but they're basically Germanic tribes from the area of Germany and so forth. And they came and they took the city of Rome and they basically put the empire down. But you have to know, we have to know something about this empire. This empire, Rome, in its heyday, it was one that was taking everything it liked and making it part of Rome. They tend to absorb, they tend to be eclectic. We like this, we'll make this Roman. Uh, some of you may know Roman military history. The turtle was one of their famous formations in battle, but they got that from somewhere else. They got nearly everything from somewhere else. But finally, they, they are the really most powerful nation, uh, uh, and more than a nation, an empire on the earth. And they are going to uh, really rule the earth with great power. Now they are, their strongest period will be about 150 AD. To about one, you take it all the way up to 200 uh, AD. And this would be uh, under the Roman emperors who, I think I've got several of them written down here. Well, we can look, I can give it for you later. But anyway, the Roman emperors that ruled at that point, the uh, Trajan was a very strong Roman Empire emperor, but uh, he wasn't the strongest. The strongest were really going to rule from about 100, 100 AD to 200 AD, and they, that would be their strongest period. At any way, anyway, this is what Daniel is writing and being told about, and it's told about what this empire would be able to do, and it didn't put up with anything. They would crush. They, if you gave them a bad time, you had a problem. Now, if you didn't, you could get along with most of the people pretty well. In the time of uh, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, actually the uh, general that took Jerusalem was really a pretty nice guy. And uh, had they done what he asked, they still could have held Jerusalem and made it because he, he didn't want to come and take everything out. But they didn't do that and so he did. He came and took the whole, uh, took the Jews out, Jerusalem fell and went downhill from there. At any rate, these are the things Daniel saw. But the one thing that Daniel uh, didn't, they didn't see that Daniel saw before it ever happened was this one who comes the little horn and that 
we don't see in the Roman Empire, we will not see it until they come back. And Rome is going to come back. Now, when that's going to happen, I don't know. I think it's going to be very soon. It basically is going to come out of Europe, and this is what the Bible says, and actually it's forming right now. And uh, there is a group that meets in Switzerland with several powerful individuals who are part of it. Uh, Klaus Schwab, who is German, very wealthy, politically connected guy. They want to, with that empire in Europe, form a one world government. Now, we studied about that uh, years ago as we studied the Bible. There's going to be one world government out there. Well, gang, they're working on it right now. Uh, the uh, Klaus Schwab is one of them. You have the uh, son of the uh, guy who is always giving everybody a bad time and wants to, uh, he's very wealthy and we, we hear about him all the time. Is who it is? George Soros? Yes, yes, George Soros. George is sort of stepping aside now, but his son is taking over. And they're in a meeting right now in Switzerland. His son's name is Alexander. Yeah. yeah. Of course, we have another Alexander that's very famous. And some people think he's going to be the Alexander come back. I don't, don't know that that's true. But at any rate, you have these people who want one world government. And what Daniel is seeing in verses 9 and, and really in 8, down through the end of the chapter is the formation of this one world government and the one that's going to lead it. He's the most important character that is involved in this. Now, as we see it, remember that this government that's going to be formed, this one world government, and uh, it's called globalism. I mentioned to some of you that uh, every time I get on American Airline, I see uh, on that one world, uh, they have it right over the door as you get in. If I was American Airline, I wouldn't have that there. At any rate, we have this going on right now. The next thing we see is that this one world government is going to come out of that fourth beast. It's going to be that fourth beast. Now, the fourth beast is one that's going to be able to take all that that beast has learned and God is going to let them have that. And he is going to be a, you might think, him, think of him as the empire of Rome on steroids because they are, are really going to, to go after it. Some of you may remember Francis Schaeffer, famous mm -hmm. uh, theologian and philosopher, neat man. We did not know Francis very well. We knew his wife very well. She used to come and stay with us at the hotel. We lived in a hotel because our church owned one in New York City. And, but Francis just had some incredible uh, material that he produced. And one of them was about the Roman Empire in one of his books. And his thesis was that the Roman Empire has not died and gone away, that it's just under the surface of humanity and it's going to come back. 
And I believe that is exactly what's going to happen. And this is sort of what Daniel is seeing here. And he's really seeing the uh, one that is going to lead it. Now, we call that one, uh, well, the Lord calls it one, and the Revelation calls him a certain thing. You know what it is? The Antichrist. The Antichrist, that's exactly right. He's the Antichrist. And he is going to be the one that leads into this one world government that rejects God and defeats God, however that is supposed to look. If we don't think that's beginning to happen now, all we have to do is listen to some of the woke rallies in our country. Uh, because behind the Antichrist, there is going to be the God of this world, as we find in First John 5, 19. Who is that? Satan. Satan. Satan is behind him. And Satan is going to be pushing this government and this person. And I may have mentioned to some of you uh, at the beginning of last summer, they had these big rallies on the beach there in Washington State. And they were out there having rallies praising Satan. Fortunately, there were some remnant believers out there opposing them with that. We are going to see more and more of that. I picked up something the other day that really got my attention. Uh, there are all kind of cartoons out there for our kids. One of them that's very popular now is TikTok. And people are, kids are getting in this and it really is not about entertainment, it's about indoctrination. They have one out now that is about the Antichrist and he is the hero and they're very clear, this is the Antichrist. So we are facing that now. So the things we're looking at here are happening now. And uh, that is, as we live in this, it's important to understand what we face. And as uh, Brent pointed out in politics, in everything we do that we stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ, we are gracious but tenaciously standing strong for him. Because this is going on and uh, we're seeing this, this happen as it happens around us now. In this passage, uh, we also have what God is going to do about it. Chapter 7 and chapter 2 and Daniel are two key passages. But in chapter 7, we finally we look at the, the enemy side. We see the Antichrist. We see the four uh, beasts that represent the empire. And the one that's going to come back, Rome, is just under the surface. And this is what Francis Schaeffer said. He said it's, it's going to come back up. Uh, I don't think many of you are old enough to remember Benito Mussolini. Some of you remember Mussolini. El Duce. He thought that he was going to be the leader of Europe. That this one who would lead the European Union. And he would lead it. Well, that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He didn't get to do it, by the way. Uh, the last picture I saw of him, he was hanging upside down in a square in Rome. And people went by and just emptied their clips at him. They shot him to pieces. Well, that is uh, what the Antichrist is 
not going to start that way. He is going to have a lot going on for him, but God is going to deal with him. And that's why in verse 9, we come to the point where uh, we begin to see the uh, thing that our, things that our Lord is going to do to deal with the world that is turned against him. And this is it. Uh, human history is going to end with the putting down of this final uh, beast that represents Rome and mankind, and you see that in the Revelation. And I really feel stronger that we're beginning to see the edges of that now. Now, when we come to this, as we said, there has been uh, a number of people who have thought they were going to run the whole show, Mussolini being one of them. Hitler really thought so. But what is going to happen? God is still running this show. And when we get to chapter 9, I'd like... Verse 9, not chapter I mean verse 9, right. I'd like someone, if you would, to read for me verses, and read it good and loud. Pat, maybe you could do that. Uh, read verses 9 uh, through uh, 12. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions. Yeah, let's stop there. Yeah, stop at the end of 12. That was the vision. Yeah, we'll get to the vision. And the vision is going to uh, be what God the Father is going to do for the Son of Man who is his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, in this, the first thing we see is we are looking until thrones were set up. Where are they set up? In heaven. Yeah, in heaven. Heaven is another dimension. We are in a created dimension on earth. We are part of this universe and we do not know how many dimensions God has made. We know there are at least five. This man in the fifth dimension, the spiritual that we know is there, that we will eventually be there, but we cannot see it right now. Well, it's almost might if we see a vision. And Daniel is looking and the first thing he sees in this vision of heaven is that there are thrones set up. Whose thrones are these? The Father's and Jesus'. Okay, they're certainly theirs. Exactly. But are there other thrones? I think that's who we have in this vision. But what other thrones do we have related to the Father in heaven? And to... 24. Yeah, what are they? The people? They were the uh, 12 tribes and... Um... 
elders. Elders. The elders, right. And we find this in the Revelation. We also have in Revelation chapter 19, the thrones of those who are beheaded for the Lord Jesus because of their trust and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have uh, people who are on thrones that we, we know they are placed there. We're not really sure why, but God has placed them on thrones. Uh, there's no question that probably some of you may be on a throne and that God has thrones for certain people. And we find this going out. It's really fun. I went through all of the, the uh, thrones and, uh, that we have mentioned. And we have uh, thrones that are for the apostles, they have thrones. I was going to say, I thought the 12 disciples would be uh, on them. And then I would think that yeah, the... Um, that's in Luke 22, by the way. The sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes. Well, they're already there we have with the 24. Yeah, they would be there. And then the martyrs in the Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And uh, so we, we have a lot of thrones that are there in heaven around the throne and uh, this heavenly scene is has a lot of people that aren't on thrones as well but they're there because we find they the thrones have been set up and the ancient of days took his seat who is the ancient of days the father the father yes and his venture was like uh, white uh, like white snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool and his throne was ablaze with flames its wheels were burning fire and the river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him and thousands upon thousands were attending him if you go back to the revelation chapter 5 you'll see that around the throne there's this huge number of people and in greek it says it's muriades kai muriadon kiliades kai chiliadon a thousand times a thousand, ten thousand times ten thousand. A number you can't count are around the throne of God. Are those the ones that come out of the tribulation period that were slain for Christ? Some are. Some are, but that's very early in the, in the tribulation. There would be martyrs there. But the ones that are really mentioned as martyrs are over in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. It said they were beheaded for the cause of Christ. So we have these coming. Now, will we participate in that? I don't know, but I do know you are faithfully following him and God is going to honor that, whether you'll be sitting on a throne. I know Phyllis will, and I'll wave at her from the back and I'll be sweeping the streets back there. But the streets are gold, so it's tough fun to do. At any rate, the, this is what we see in heaven. And as we see it, we also get a picture of God, the one who is the Ancient of Days. And what is unique or special about this uh, prophecy that tells us, uh, pictures him as he's going to be? What do you see in there? Well, God is the winner. He is going to put down this guy who has caused such grief to believers and who uh, has built this group of rejecting Christ. We need to know that right now. Yes, sir. We really do. That's As I listen to Brent talk about what we're facing, I do not know what's coming to this country. I do know our oldest son is very much attuned to a lot of things that are happening because of his former involvement 
uh, with things of the, uh, you know, the spy type of things. And I finally keep telling him, don't, don't tell me anymore, I've heard enough, I'm, <laughs> I'm scared enough now, over. We don't want to be scared, we want to be ready to stand, but we are in a time when it's really, really difficult. But what we also need to know that there are literally thousands of people dying for Christ now, around the world. Yes, Pat? Uh, this throne that was fiery flame and the fiery stream that came out from this throne, could that be judgment? It is exactly that's what it is fire. I think it will be real, but it says God will judge. Uh, I, well, my favorite passage on this is uh, Hebrews eleven twenty nine. Somebody looked that up for me. I think I got that right. But the, he, what we are seeing here is that God will deal with those who turn against Him, and He's going to destroy the one who's boasting. That's the Antichrist. And the rest of the beasts after their dominion is taken away, but extension of life will be granted to them uh, uh, for an appointed period of time. And what I think that is saying is that the Gentile world that was against Christ, God is going to give them a chance, in some of them at least, in the millennium. And I, we could follow that through on another passage, but I believe that's what's going to happen. Anybody find? I found Hebrews 11, but 29 is not, verse 29 is not, I don't think what you want. What, what does it say? It says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. No, maybe it's 1229. I'll look it up. I, I just ran across it. Let me try 1229. Yeah, see what you find. Oh. Uh, not 29 verses, but 28 says in 12, Therefore, since we receive a king kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming That's it. fire. 12 is it 12? 1229. Sorry, I got one chapter wrong. 12, For our 20. God is a consuming, consuming fire. And that is about judgment. And that's what's going to come. Now, when we come back to uh, look at this at verse 29. Oh, I'm in Hebrew still. I better not do that. That's a pretty good verse. So. Uh, anyway, we get back to... Uh, the verse 13 and what did we find i kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dimension which will never, not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's one of the great passages of the Bible. Yeah, What's going on there? That's when Jesus takes control. Okay, what happens first to Christ? All the, the throne is set up. Comes back to get us. Yeah, he comes to the Father and the the uh, Father, 
Looking and behold, the clouds and one like the Son of Man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days. After he comes up to the Ancient of Days, what does he do then? He sits down at his right hand. Well, yeah, but he's going to do something else. He too. is given the dominion and glory, the kingdom. That's right. That's Revelation 19. We'll see that. He comes back. I want to tell you, his coming back, the Bible has a great deal to say about that. And you, you begin to see his, uh, his power coming. We see it in the Gospels that he comes and he's coming in the, with the clouds. As he's being tried, he says this. And he tells us that uh, he is the one that will, uh, in the Revelation, is going to appear and uh, he'll be on his and he'll be sitting eventually on a great white throne and uh, it is just going to be an incredible thing to see the lord returning for all of these things and, uh, let me give you a few of the passages on this Matthew twenty four thirty. <clears throat> Somebody get that if you would and read it. And then uh... the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Boy, that is going to be some experience now the we see uh the other the son coming back the coming of christ in revelation nineteen eleven, and i saw the heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war now if you're really walking with the lord you get to be with him and uh you know, I haven't ridden in so long, but I, I want to be on that ride. It goes on to say, And the armies which are in heaven clothed in white linen, in fine linen, white and clean, will follow him on white horses. And uh, he talks about this. And the Lord is going to come back after he receives us. Now, that's going to end it. It's going to end it for the nations or the kingdoms or the uh, empires of this world. He takes over. Now there's going to be a thousand year reign. And we may touch on that as we finish up in Daniel 12. But that reign will come to an end. And after that, we have the forever kingdom. It's a new reign. And we have the new heaven and new earth. Now... The new heaven and the new earth. The new earth, I believe, is already constructed. And it hasn't come here yet. But uh, And the new heavens and new earth will be constructed when he wipes the other ones out. And we see the new earth that uh, we find in chapters 20 and 21 and 22 of the Revelation. And we'll come to those. But... The point of this is no matter what the world and the Antichrist and uh, all of the sleazy uh, 
politicians come up with, the King of Kings will deal with it. And he is going to come and every eye will see, see him. By the way, when did he... It's recorded in Matthew 24, 30. Where was this given? Who did he tell this to? Daniel, I guess. No, not Daniel. Matthew 24. He does tell it to Daniel right here. Yeah. Here he does too. Yes, he does. But Matthew 20, 24, he's not with a group that likes him. Pharisees, I guess. Pharisees, yeah, the, 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 well, and Sadducees. They're there and he tells them that the Son of Man is coming and they're not too pleased about that. Isn't he on the Mount of Olives when he does that? No, he, no he's in the... Because uh, if you go to verse 3, it says, Now he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, yeah, Tell no. us when these things will oh, be. Okay, that's a great question. What we're looking at is Passion Week. The first day of Passion Week, the Monday, he comes down the Mount of Olives, comes into the temple. The second day, Tuesday, after he, it's the last day he'll come into the temple. After he, the last thing he does, he sits in the court of the women there in the temple area, and he uh, sees the woman come in and put in two left eyes. And he commends her. And then he goes out, and that's when he goes up on the Mount of Olives. And he gives us what he call, what's called the Olivet Discourse. Right. And that's, that's on Tuesday evening. That's when that happens. Can I ask you something? Oh, please. Uh, in 8, I mean uh, 10, the fire stream issued and came forth from him, before him. 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Right. So are we in the courts of heaven? Is that the That's vision? the courts of heaven there. Uh -huh. That's where they are. And uh -huh. The books are over, meaning that there's judgment coming. Okay. See, there's not going to be any battle here in heaven. God gives a decree. The Lord is going to come back. And not going to be much of a battle. He'll come down and all of the armies will turn. To, to fight with him, they were going to fight with each other, and all he comes and he has a great sword. What is it? The word. The word. That's right. It comes out of. All he has to do is speak it. Boop. Well, can we go before the courts of heaven? Because some pastors are teaching that. What well, you? We don't have anything that tells us. We okay. Let's go back. We'll go, all go before the judgment seat of Christ, who are believers. Now, the others who are not, yes, they'll go so in heaven. Yeah, yeah, they, they'll go and they will be judged, uh, you know, where they're going to go on the lake of fire. We, we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. And now, that, that's just believers. But that's just believers, yeah, that's just believers. And that is in heaven. Lord himself shall descend from heaven. He says in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet, God and the dead in Christ shall be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. So, sh so shall we to meet the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So yes, we will appear. One of the things I love to do when we take people, I don't know if we'll be doing that anymore, I'd love to go back. I don't want to be shot at because we're over there, so we're thinking about that. But anyway, 
one of the things I love to do is when we do the uh, do Greece and the Greek Isles to go to Corinth, which is Corinth is part of Achaia, which is Lower Greece, and it's out on the it's out on an isthmus, and it, it's a neat thing to go to because you go on it's a beautiful site, the city of Corinth, and you have a bema, a judgment seat, sitting right there, and that's where the governor or whoever would sit down on the judgment seat. Now the judgment seat, you can do one, one of two things. You could say, you're blessed and give them their reward. Or you, you can say, well, you, you know, they don't kill you, but they say, you, you know, you're going to get into heaven as by fire, which it says in 1 Corinthians 3. But the, we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now we're not going to be sent to hell. We've already made that decision. But not because of our sins. It's called judge for our works. Work. It's judging our, our works. Our That's exactly right. Yeah, and we'll all go to, it, trust in him, we'll go to heaven. But we, the things that don't burn up. That's right. That's right. That's right. Our pastor brought a really good message, I thought, on that Sunday. And, uh, you know, that we, he's a lawyer, a lawyer, and said, you know, we'll be there because we trusted Christ, but... The rewards are going to be for those who faithfully follow him and so forth. So that will be. That's a good question now. Any other questions at this point? Okay. Uh, we have the Son of Man receiving, as it were, the Son of Man. He came up and he was presented before him and he was given dominion. Now what does dominion mean? Rulership. Yeah, he runs. He we were doing a thing when we were, helped start a church over in Kingsland. We went, a, I went over to the Sunday school class for first graders. And uh, we were talking about this. And this one little guy says, yes, it means he's the boss. And he is the boss. And so we have this happen. Now, at this point, Daniel who served in the court of Nebuchadnezzar and then in the court of the, he's still serving in the court of the Babylonians, he's under Belshazzar. And he studies his Bible, he, he's, a, he's a man greatly beloved by God, we will see that in, in chapter 9, that Daniel is confused. And... Uh, and he asked the right questions because I studied this sometime and I'm wondering how exactly is that going to happen? Well, God lets him know what he wants to know. Somebody, if you would, read for us verses 15 through 18, good and loud. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed and within me, was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all of this. So he told me, and he made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth, but the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. Let's stop there. I gotta tell you, that is an incredible passage. You think of the saints of God, and some of them are very plain people. 
Some of them are very impressive people. But I want to tell you, in that day, when the this thing occurs, that the beast and the kings, they'll be dealt with, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom. They're through. Uh, mention something to you. Uh, I'm teaching Second uh, Samuel over at our, our church in Fredericksburg. And, uh, I'm going to be teaching the uh, Philistines coming up this, this next Sunday. And David dealing with the Philistines in Second Samuel. The Philistines were fascinating people. They all go from where they came from, the area of Greece and so forth. Finally, they wound up in Egypt and in what we call uh, Israel or, or Canaan. And they gave everybody a bad time. And they're constantly fighting. And finally, David is the one that really defeats them in the land. And he takes, the, takes Jerusalem. But he has this big battle with them. Well, they hang around for a, they're another kingdom for another almost 400 years. They hang around really till about 600, 610, right in there. But at 610, in that period, the Babylonians come and they take on the Philistines. And a prophet writes about this. He writes about it 40 years before. He writes in 640, and his name is Zephaniah. And, uh, you know, I've not really been that much with old Zephaniah, but I, I, I really got wrapped around. I'm working on Philistines right now. And it says that, uh, he says, he talks about the Philistines, and he says, and when this occurs, when the uh, Babylonians come and take the land, he said, the Philistines will be no more. And one of the mysteries of archeology span and studying ancient history is what happened to the Philistines. We think probably Nebuchadnezzar's people took them out, but we don't know. But we really know who took them out. God took them out. He says, they're just not there anymore. Phyllis Ann and I have had experiences. We've for a number of years, went to India, and sometimes we'd be out in the forested areas where we'd be working with a group or something, and you occasionally would run into these marvelous temples and things. Obviously, there was a complex or a city here. Absolutely gorgeous. And when we took the train that one time, I got at daylight so I could, we'd go through these little areas, and you'd see these beautifully constructed buildings. And without question, Asking the people who live there, who were supposed to know, you say, well, what people here said, we don't know. They disappeared. We don't know. They disappeared without a trace. And you see numbers of that. Well, it's because God takes them out. He's either going to take you up or he's going to take you out. Yeah. So you have to figure which one you want to be with. So that is what we have with the Philistine. We don't have that here, but I think some of the people that we do run into with the uh, time in Daniel and some of the people that come, you know, have given Daniel a bad time and will give the people of God a bad time, God will take them out. And that's kind of what it's saying. Now, the great beast, they get to stay around, but eventually they're going to be taken out. But the saints receive the kingdom. And that, here we are, a little group, let's see, six, seven, eight of us here. 
if God just told you something. You're inheritors of his kingdom. He, he, you know, we're not going to have any eye. I have not seen, neither has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared, the heart of women, the things God has prepared for them who love him. Of course, Paul quotes this in 1 Corinthians, and it's true. Well, next thing we see is Daniel is disturbed. Oh, God, I'm out of time. Let me just read this one. Is that all right? Can I read a little? Okay. As for me, Daniel, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the vision in my mind kept alarming me, and I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him exactly. The we read exact, that down to 18. Right, the meaning. And I, I, I'm just looking at it again. And he told me, he made me do the interpretation of these things. The beast, which are four in number, he told them about them. The saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess a kingdom forever for all ages to come. We not only get it, we got it forever. You know, I think a lot at this age where I'm, you know, at the other end of 80, about things I really have loved. I still have some of them, but I look at them, I don't love them as much anymore. Because, you know, I'm going on, they're going to stay here. But what he says here, you will receive a kingdom, and that kingdom will never get old. Never going to be boring. Never have to worry about water for cattle. You don't have to do these things. Everything is going to be, it's going to be taken care of. Daniel goes on to say, though, that he'd like to know more than that. Then I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast. And that's key because that is the beast that is going to come back with teeth of iron, its claws of bronze, and which devour, crush, and trample down the remainder of its, with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up and before which the three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth and uttered a great boast and which was larger in appearance than its associates. Now he goes on, let's just read the last two. And I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Until the Ancient of Days came, the judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. He's really saying the same thing and adding to it. The saints are going to take the kingdom. They're going to possess the kingdom. And the, these are the saints of the Most High. And the little horn will wage war for us, but when the Lord comes back, as we said, all he'll do is speak and that sword will come out of his mouth and it will be over. Next time we will be with verse 23. We want to read that and then I'd like you to go through 8. But we'll start with 23. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different. And we will go through this again. He's going to emphasize it again, but I, I think we'll wait and do verse 23 through 28 which it says at this point the revelation ended and we'll have to wait till next week and end it and uh, 
By the way, when Daniel gets all this, he doesn't say, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. He has a pale face. Says the lad, I grew pale and kept the matter to myself. Why did it upset him? Because the whole world is going to be involved. Yeah, I think you're right, Brett. I think we, we talked about this today. And he's going to realize how many are going to die. The whole world. The whole world. And, uh, you know, it's sad that they do, and, and, and it affects him. But that will May happen. I make one comment? You betcha. <laughs> well, all of this is future. Yes. But we need to remember that today, according to the writer of the book of Hebrews, he says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for, for us now. At now. Each and, every one of us. and I really think we need to remember that because prayer is something is the only thing that's going to get us through these days and if we and not be afraid of tomorrow. I, I couldn't agree more because we are in a very, very dangerous time. But we are members of the kingdom. And uh, that's a great thing to bring up, sweetheart, because that's who we depend on. And we will find out next week that we can depend on him. And, uh, I think David is not frightened by it. Daniel is not frightened. I think Daniel is just upset, as you said, for the people that are there. And uh, that is something to be upset for. Any other questions you have?